The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. So here we are, the uh, Sunday after Easter, experiencing Easter withdrawals. You know, we celebrated Easter last Sunday, and and we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, which was the ultimate event for us as Christians. As we think about Jesus' victory over death, victory over sin, and then this week happened, right? You faced some challenges this week. You faced some difficulties on the job, some struggles with your family members. And so here we are, the Sunday after Easter, experiencing the Easter withdrawal or Easter hangover, if you will. You know, think about Peter. Peter was the same way. In John, in the book of John, we learn that Peter, about a week after seeing Jesus resurrected two times, still does not really know what to do. Or how to react. And so what does Peter do? Well, he gets his buddies together and he goes back to his old ways. What he knew how to do beforehand, what was in his blood, he goes back to fishing. So he and his buddies pile into a boat. They go out and fish. And maybe you're like Peter this week. You celebrate a resurrection. It's been a fantastic Sunday last Sunday. And then this week happened and you kind of went back to some of your old ways. Maybe it was entertainment. Maybe it was games, maybe selfishness, comfort, drinking, partying. And Easter Sunday is long gone for you. And Jesus is resurrected, but we still don't know what to do with it. Just like Peter, we're kind of lost. Like, I I don't know what to do with this. I need to process this. I'm just going to go fishing. And I don't know. It's just something to do because I don't get it. And so Jesus meets Peter on the shore after a night of fishing. And you remember the story. Peter and his buddies go fishing all night. And what do they catch? Nothing. And so Jesus is on the shore waiting for them. And he says, friends, have you any fish? What he's really asking, since Jesus knows the answer to that question, what he's really asking is, is the thing that you went back to, has it fulfilled you and satisfied you? And I believe he asks the same question of us. Are the things that we go back to, are they fulfilling us? Are they satisfying? Or are they leaving us empty? You see, in Matthew chapter 7, which is where we're going to be this morning, in the middle of Jesus' greatest sermon, he gives us some action steps to take that I think are really helpful for us as we think about the Easter withdrawal on what we ought to do with what we've experienced and the information and the knowledge that we've received. Jesus is asking you to take a step of faith. He's on the shore waiting for you. Now, a lot of times when we come here, uh, we sit in our chairs and we listen to the word of God preached and we, we hear a sermon and we hear the worship music and far too often we go home and we don't do anything with it. It's really kind of a passive activity that we, that we do, which is not wrong in and of itself. But when Scripture is preached, it requires action, doesn't it? It requires steps of faith, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So you're going to notice in your bulletin that um, uh, things are a little different. Um, 
And so underneath each point, uh, the first three, what I've done is I've given you a point. I'm going to tell you the answer to fill in the blank there. And then below that, you'll find a blank that um, I'm not going to give you the answer to. That's for yourself. That's for application. And so as we go through this passage in Matthew 7, we talk about asking, seeking, and knocking. I'm going to be asking you to write your own responses in there, things that you will do in response to what you've heard today. And you may be thinking, okay, I'm here at church. Isn't that what God requires? Isn't that what God wants? I'm here at church. What more do you want from me, God? And the answer to that is everything. Everything. I believe one of the main problems in our church today, in church life today, is not lack of knowledge, but lack of action. And so I want to strongly and lovingly and clearly push you all to consider the words of Jesus to be the most important and precious thing you will hear all week. And then do something with them. Test them. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it as we read the scriptures here this morning. And so, what does God want us to do in this post-resurrection world? We're in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 7. But before we do, let me pray and give the rest of this time to the Lord. Father, we are here for your honor and glory. We are here because we want to know you more. We want our faith to increase in you. And we want to know how to best love other people around us. So please, Lord, will you do a work in our hearts. Will you speak through your scripture this morning. We fan into flame our love and our passion for you and for other people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, And it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Now in this passage, we're encouraged to do three things. Ask, seek, knock. And you will discover that each of these requires an increased level of action on our parts. You know, asking is, is, is a pretty, you know, it's, it's an easy enough task. Somebody's standing right beside you, they have something that you need, you simply ask for it. Seeking, you have to go looking for that person. And then knocking requires some real effort on our part, and we're going to talk about these things. Let's talk about asking first. Jesus says, ask. And we're to ask in a certain way. And I believe that we're supposed to ask expecting an answer. I mean, what good would it do if you were to ask for something from somebody and then not expect them to answer that question? Hey, can I have this? But, you know, really, I don't expect you to, you know, why would you even go through the trouble of asking? It doesn't make sense. And so it starts out easy. It starts out, you know, like, uh, for example, if my kids need something and I'm right there, they just simply look at me and say, Dad, can I have, or Dad, please, can we get, and and I'm right there and I can answer their question easy enough. So it doesn't take much effort. But what it does imply 
is a certain neediness on our part. You see, Matthew 5, 3, the first line of the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the key to being part of the kingdom of heaven is understanding our incredible desperation and neediness before God. So the question becomes, what do you need? What do you need from God? And why haven't you asked for it? Why haven't you asked for it yet? It says right here, ask and it will be given to you. Scripture says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives abundantly and liberally. That's a fantastic promise. And we all lack wisdom, don't we? So how are we supposed to ask? Okay, because we know that this isn't a blank check, right? We know that when Scripture says, ask and it will be given to you, we're like, oh, okay, well, cool, let me test this out. Um, God, can I please have a million dollars? Because, you know, I want to pay off my mortgage, and I want to make sure my family's taken care of and set aside some money for college for my kids. And, and you know, I want to invest some of that money, and, and, then I'll, and then I'll use some of the interest, and I'll give it to the church and to these fantastic charities. And would that bring God, honor and glory to you, God? Wouldn't that be fantastic? So, God, please, can I have a million dollars? We know that that prayer probably won't get answered. I'm not going to say never, but probably won't get answered. And so we know that this is not a blank check. So how are we supposed to ask for things? And what are we supposed to ask for? Well, first of all, the how. We're supposed to ask persistently and humbly within the will of God, not within the will of me. You know, we may think, man, it'd be nice to have a million dollars. For many of us, we're just, we're not going to be millionaires. We're just going to have to be content being thousandaires, right? But it has to be within the will of God, not within the will of me. So then the question is, what is the will of God? Well, it's that we be holy, that we be sanctified, that we be different, that we be pointing people to Jesus, bringing honor and glory to him, and to enjoy him, not, not trying to manipulate God to give us what we want. We see children doing this at the store all the time when they're throwing themselves on the floor, kicking and stomping their feet, crying out because their mom and dad are not giving them that toy or that candy that they want. We have names for those children. They're called brats. And I guarantee you that their parents don't necessarily want to give them what they want out of the kindness and goodness of their heart. Unfortunately, full confession, sometimes we give them that to just stop them from embarrassing us. James chapter 4 talks about the right way to ask for things with the right motives. Not to spend it on our own selfish desires, but to bring honor and glory to the Lord. So the question once again is, why haven't we asked? Has it been far too long since you asked God for something that you need? And if it has, that's a sign of pride. That's a sign that we think that we have everything that we need. And we're good to go. We don't need you, God. We, yeah, we got this. You know, just like Revelation chapter 3, the church in Laodicea, they think they have everything. But God says, you don't realize that you're poor, naked, wretched, pitiful, and blind. 
And so in your bulletin, what I'd like you to do in your notes is I'd like you just to fill in that blank. I will ask God for what? Ask him for what he wants you to ask for if you don't have anything. I will ask God for the patience to deal with my coworker. I will ask God to deal with, to, to help reconcile with the family members that I'm struggling with. I will ask God for more gentleness in dealing with my children and so on. What will you ask God for within his will? Because scripture says he'll give it. He'll give it. The second thing he says here is seek. And I believe he means to seek expecting to find something valuable. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells these two parables about a person who found a pearl of great price and sold everything that they had in order to obtain that. And then someone else found a treasure in a field and they buried it, sold everything they had to buy that field so that they could get that treasure. And it was something of great value. I mean, sometimes we lose things around our house that are silly, you know, like socks. You know, it's amazing to me how this works. You put the laundry in the wash... Then you move it to the dryer, then you take it out and you fold it, and lo and behold, two socks are missing. Friends, let me save you some time. Don't look for those socks. They're gone. They went to sock heaven to hang out with their knee-high, calf-high, no-show friends, and they're going to party it up for all eternity. Just don't worry about that. You don't need to seek for that. But what about the last time you lost your keys? Do you remember how you sought for your keys? What about your wallet? What about the last time you lost your wallet? Do you remember how bad you looked for that? Now, parents here, remember the last time you lost your kid? <laughs> remember the, the anxiety, the worry, the desperation. You're desperate to find your child. I mean, you were embarrassed because you lost your kid, but you're desperate to find your kid, and everything stops, and you're seeking, seeking, seeking until you find your child because it's so precious and valuable to you. And our Heavenly Father has precious and valuable things for each and every one of us that we need to seek after, and He wants us to seek after them. He wants us to look for them. You know, remember, this is something that you really need. Now, my kids, from time to time, um, you know, they need things from me, and I'm not around, you know. If I'm right next to them, they can just ask me, and I'll give them what they need or whatever. Uh, but sometimes they really need something. Now, in our house, uh, Band-Aids, is, uh, Band-Aids are a commodity, okay? Um, we like to bless our kids from time to time and give them their own boxes of Band-Aids. I think that's the coolest thing. And they put the Band-Aids on every little boo-boo of themselves and their stuffed animals and, you know, and so a week later, when they actually legitimately need a Band-Aid and they don't have any, well, then they got to come to mom and dad because we have the secret Band-Aid stash in our bathroom and we give them a Band-Aid that they actually need. Otherwise, we'd have to budget for Band-Aids. Parents, you understand this, right? But when I'm not around and my kids need a Band-Aid, then they got to find me, okay? And so what do my kids do? No, they don't go looking for me. No, they shout my name, right? Dad! Dad! Where are you? And since I'm a good human being, I ignore them. <laughs> because I want them to actually seek me, and I'm you know, not going to come running for every little you know, whim and everything like that. But then they have to look for me in order to get what they need. And in their case, it's a Band-Aid, which if you're a little kid and you've got some blood, man, a Band-Aid is the only thing that you need. You need Barbie and her friends to wrap your finger to make it feel better, or Hello Kitty, or whatever it may be. And so how are we supposed to seek? We're supposed to seek with persistence. And each of these ideas, ask, seek, knock, implies a, 
a persistence, a continual activity. And we're supposed to seek with passion, with humility, and again within the will of God. And what are we supposed to find? What are we seeking after? Well, I talked to you a little bit about the Easter withdrawal. This week's been hard. Um, Easter was a fantastic, wonderful Sunday celebration of Jesus and his uh, sacrifice and his resurrection. And then Tuesday afternoon, I'm spending time with some friends of mine, helping them process through the suicide of their friend. And they're asking these questions of why? Why did this person in their early 20s who was set to graduate from college, why did they hang themselves? Why did they choose to end their life when they had all this life ahead of them? I don't have the answers to that. And why did your family members do that too? And your friends, you know people. Why? Friends, yesterday I I heard about a nine-year-old kid in Billings who killed himself. Yesterday, I heard about this. This happened recently. So when we talk about seeking things, I want to know the answers to these questions. Why, Lord? Why is this happening? We need to be seeking after things like character, lessons, truth, love, wisdom, fruits of the Spirit. Not seeking after pop psychology or the secular humanistic garbage or somebody's opinion seeking after what's true, what's right, and what's good. And when we seek after things, the question becomes, what have we lost? What have you lost that you need to begin to seek after again? Maybe it's our love for Jesus. Maybe it's our love for our spouse or our children. Maybe it's your passion for life and for work and for people. Maybe it's your desire to live holy your moral compass, if you will. Maybe it's your compassion for the hurting. What are we going to seek after? You see, not seeking is once again a sign of pride and thinking that we have everything all together and that we're good to go. When we don't realize how desperate we are and how needy we are before God. So what are you going to seek for? Go ahead and need your notes and you can write something down. I'm going to seek for this. Now notice this is harder than just asking. This is going to require more effort. But it's worth it because you will find something valuable if you seek after the Lord in this way. I will seek God to find this. Now the third thing he asks us to do or tells us to do here is to knock. Well, why are we supposed to knock? Well, because the door is shut. Well, why is the door shut? And what does that even mean? Well, it could mean that there's a barrier that's in front of you that has to do with the fact that you have lack of knowledge or lack of wisdom. Well, in that case, it's going to take some effort again in order to open that door. But maybe the barrier exists because of a persistent sin issue in your life that's been going on for six months, a year, something you know that the Lord needs you and wants you to kick out of your life And you've been resistant and rebellious to that. We ought to knock when we come up against a huge barrier. 
when what we need to have, we really need something provided for us that's on the other side of that door. You see, if a beggar is on the side of the road and they've got their sign, they're simply just asking for people for things. And then if that beggar has to seek people to find them out to have their needs met, that requires more effort. And as spiritual beggars, we need to be knocking at the door of the palace and saying, Heavenly Father, please let us in. We want you. We want what's on the other side of that door. You know, um, when my kids need something from me and they have to fight me, sometimes I'm in my bedroom and the door is shut. Now, parents, here's some free parenting advice for you. Uh, Make your bedroom a sanctuary. Because you need the time together with your spouse in order to connect, in order to have conversations, in order to develop your intimacy together, and in order to eat that candy sash you keep away from the kids. But in my house, my kids are not allowed into our bedroom without permission. Even if the door's open, they stand at the, at the door frame and they ask the question of us. And, and by the way, it's really fun for them when they do get invited in. They think it's really special, you know, like, oh, I got to watch a movie on mom and dad's bed with them or something like that. Um, but make your bedroom a sanctuary so that when my kids need something and I'm in my bedroom, they have to knock. Now, how? How are we supposed to knock on this door? Well, we're supposed to knock persistently, urgently, and desperately. N- not as a spoiled brat or somebody who feels entitled. We want to be let in. Now, we can knock on all sorts of doors, can't we? We can knock on the door of secular humanistic thought. You can go to Barnes & Noble and you can pick out the latest self-help book and figure out how to develop more self-esteem and more um, self-love and self, 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 self. And you will find things on the other side of that door. But anything that elevates self is satanic. Jesus did not come to elevate himself. He came to serve and to give. And that is how we ought to respond to that. So what kind of door will you knock on? What door will you knock at? Again, not knocking on a door is a sign of pride. I've got everything I need. I don't need to knock on that door. I'm good. If my kids didn't knock on the door or ask me for things, I would wonder what's wrong with them, right? You would wonder what's wrong with your kids. My wife and I would have a conversation and be like, my kid hasn't asked some for something in three days. Like, are they even alive? So what door will you knock on? Maybe it's the door of seeking reconciliation with a family member again. Maybe it's cultivating a new discipline in your life. Maybe it's pursuing a new passion or fulfilling a dream that God has for you, that he's placed in your heart, that you're afraid to pursue and go after. I believe God has amazing things for each and every one of us. I really do. And I want to encourage you to ask, seek, and knock those things, uh, knock on those doors for those things that we need. Going back to our text here, point number four today, um, Our heavenly father is not like our earthly fathers. Listen to the text here. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
You see, the question we've alluded to but haven't really addressed is, who are we asking? And the answer is we're asking our Heavenly Father. Now, there are two kinds of fathers in this world, good and bad fathers. And I believe that both of those types of fathers teach us about the Heavenly Father. You see, if you had a good dad, if your earthly father was good, that's fantastic. Because God in his grace blessed you with a dad that had qualities that taught you about the Heavenly Father. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Um, I was uh, driving with my boys the other day. My oldest is 15. My youngest is 10. And my oldest son had a cold. And he said to me, he says, man, some ice cream would really make my, would really soothe my throat. And I just kind of let the comment go. And I thought, ah, let me, let me draw this out. Let me, let me see if I can teach my boys a little bit about, you know, being a good dad. And so I said to them, I go, boys, this is kind of a weird question, but uh, am I a good dad? And rather than hearing the response I wanted to hear, you know, like, oh, yes, dad, you are the most wonderful man ever. They said, this is a trick question, isn't it? <laughs> I said, no, no, it's not a trick question. No, seriously, am I, am I a good dad? And they both said, yeah, you're, you're a pretty good dad most of the time. And, and um, so I said, as a good dad, don't I love to bless my children with good things and bring joy to their lives? And they said, yeah, yeah, you do. And I said, don't I love to bless them when they ask for things? Said, yeah. And then my youngest says, I think he wants us to ask him for something. And then he says, Dad, can we stop and get ice cream? I said, yeah. And my oldest son says, can I get some too? I said, sure. And then they said, like right now? I'm like, yes. And, and so we pulled off and we went into McDonald's and I spent $4 blessing my sons with ice cream. Because I love my boys, and I love blessing my children with good things. And, and you do too, right? You understand the difference between good things and bad things. Now, unfortunately, there are bad fathers out there as well, bad earthly fathers. And friends, bad earthly fathers is becoming an epidemic in our world, isn't it? The latest trend in bad fatherhood is murdering your children and then committing suicide. It's getting worse. And if your earthly father was bad or absent or whatever, that's regretful and it's horrible and it's unfortunate. But God in his grace has given you the opposite of him in order to teach you about himself. Because you can safely assume that if you had a bad dad, the opposite of your bad dad is true of our heavenly father, right? So if your bad dad was a workaholic, your heavenly father always has time for you. If your bad dad was absent, your heavenly father will never leave you or forsake you. If your dad was abusive, your heavenly father will always be gentle, kind, and good and caring towards you. If your dad was selfish, your heavenly father is always selfless and always has your best in mind. And if your earthly dad was addicted to substances, your heavenly father, I tell you, friends, is delighted in you and puts you first. In reality, the difference between a good earthly dad and a bad earthly dad is about this far. And the difference between a good earthly dad and our heavenly father starts from here, goes to the other end of the earth, and comes back to here. Because the difference between earthly fathers and our heavenly father is infinite. 
Our Heavenly Father always gives good gifts to his children. Always. So what that means is if you're asking the Heavenly Father for something and he hasn't given it to you, that means it's for your good. And if he has given it to you, that means it's for your good because he always gives good gifts. And even when he doesn't give the things that you think that you want or you need, it's for your good. And when you're pitching a fit and you're acting like a spoiled child with your Heavenly Father, he's not going to give you that thing. I think it's funny in this passage, Jesus is making a joke here. Which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Uh, Yeah, fathers, try this out sometime. Uh, If your kid asks you for something, give them something totally different. It'll be fun. By the way, film it, right? Because it's always fun to see your kid's reaction when this happens. You know, for example, if your kid's like, Dad, can we go out and get a cheeseburger? you would be like, I tell you what, son, do you like chips? And your kid's like, yeah, but what does that have to do with cheeseburgers? I've got something for you. Here you go, son. It's a buffalo chip. (laughs) And your kids are going to look at you like you're nuts. They're like, Dad, I asked you for a cheeseburger and you gave me a buffalo turd. Why would you do this? It doesn't make any sense. Dad, can I have a sandwich? Okay, I tell you what, let me get you some worms. Like, what? We understand the difference between good gifts and bad gifts. How much more our Heavenly Father? We give our kids what they need. Our Heavenly Father knows what you need and you can trust Him. If you go into Scripture and you read about Heavenly Father and how much He loves us and how He longs to bless us abundantly, it is full in Scripture of those verses. For example, Romans 8.38 says this, He who did not spare his own son. Our Heavenly Father gave us his most precious possession, his son. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with him meaning with the resurrected Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the throne of the Father right now, making intercession for you and me. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. Ephesians three twenty through 21 says, God is able to do far more than we can imagine. So stop for just a second and think about all the things you can ask for from God, all the things that you can seek after, all the doors you can knock on. Imagine the possibilities and then understand that according to God's word, he says, I will do more, so much more than even you can imagine. So friends, let us be people who are desperate for God. Let us be people who are asking for what we need and seeking after what we need and knocking on the doors that we need to get into. Otherwise, we're going to die. Otherwise, we have nothing. So the questions that I want to leave you with this morning, are you asking for what he wants you to have? Are you spending your time seeking after he want, what he wants you to find? Are you knocking on doors he wants to open to you? Are you waiting patiently for him and trusting him to provide exactly what you need for life? Well, for those of you who are a little bit um, uh, worried and anxious about the fact that I didn't do the sixth point, here's the sixth point. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 reads like this. So, okay, there's a connection point. So, 
Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You see, one of the reasons that we ask and we seek and we knock is to find things that we can share with other people. And could it be possible that the thing that somebody else is asking for is exactly what God has given you to provide for them? And the thing that somebody else is seeking after is exactly what you have to give them in order to bless them in the name of the Lord. And the door that that other person is knocking on is a door that you've already been through and you can help them through that and give them what they need and be the blessing that God wants us to be. So this week, I'd encourage you to ask, seek, and knock. Demonstrate your love to the Lord through that and love others through what you receive. Go in peace. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.